Hello, I'm Katie Piper, and welcome to my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Each episode, I'll meet an amazing person with an incredible story who faced adversity and came through the other side to inspire others. I am sat opposite a very extraordinary guest today. Um, it's somebody who's personally helped me loads, but we've never met, <laughs> which is very modern. She's an author, she's a journalist and a mental health campaigner. I am joined by Bryony Gordon. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> You're an extraordinary person. Oh, well, I, do you know, no, take the compliment. Yes, okay, that's British, isn't it? I Not really to, do. Yeah. I, I've got this thing that I'm quite um, passionate about, which is that, yeah, very British, very yeah. British. But um, you see it especially with women. Like, you give them a compliment. Actually, I gave you a compliment about your T-shirt earlier and you took it and you didn't. No, you did actually. You said I, I was deflected a... it slightly. You said it's only I? French connection. Yeah, but what people will say is like, oh, you say, I really like your dress. And then what the woman will do is she'll take that compliment She'll throw it on the floor, mm-hmm. she'll set fire to it, then she'll stamp on it, then she'll spit on it to make sure the fire's out. Because we're not French. We I, couldn't want to be arrogant. I know, but yeah. it's not arrogant. And then what she'll do is she'll turn the compliment into an insult, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And she'll be like, this dress, oh, it was 50p from Primark and it shows my bingo wings. And you're like... How did you manage? Wow. Do you know, I always, whenever I've interviewed people and I interview women and you try and ask them about their achievements, it's, it's exactly that. And you have mm. to really pull it out of somebody. And if you interview a man, they just big it up and bullshit you. And then you're yeah. like, yeah. they actually right. oversell it. Yeah, you're like, no, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. You were not the first man to walk on the yeah. moon, Jim. <laughs> well, I don't know where you've got that from. But it is interesting. And I, and I think it's it's really important, that trash talk that we yeah. give ourselves. Because a level of self-deprecating is... is relatable and it's appealable but I suppose you're right diminishing all your achievements is kind of quite sad really it is really it's like if you trash talk yourself like I especially think I don't know about you but like as a mother of um children obviously a mother of a child uh, (laughs) as opposed to a dog or a you know but I, I I I know that you know what I say is is gonna be you know my daughter will only end up modeling what I do yeah and so if I trash talk myself, she's going to trash talk herself. Like, yeah, and it's such a contradiction because I always big my daughter up and overplay the achievements. Mm. And then I think, why don't I do it about me too? Yeah. Because then that would be mirroring that, that behaviour. Yeah. But we don't, but we should. But there we go. That, yeah. That's the reminder to everyone listening to try and at least call yourself out once today. Everyone you're... is an extraordinary person. And, and that leads me nicely actually to this question about you because I discovered you in a backwards way I discovered your Instagram first and I started to really get into your page and then I got into your books and I was like, wow, okay, you've been through so many different things. You've had such an interesting life and um, so many challenges. So when I was kind of writing notes today, I was like, I don't know how to succinctly explain what it is you've done, what the road is you've walked. And one of the things in your book you talked about was intrusive thoughts Mm -hmm. and it was something that I had real real big problems with after being diagnosed with PTSD. Mm-hmm. But it was something I was scared to talk about in case mm-hmm. somebody said, well, you need to be sectioned, mm-hmm. um, you're crazy. And it's just something that no one else has ever spoke about. Or I've, And I've read so many books about people that have been through so many different mm-hmm. things. And yours was the first book, and this is 2019, mm-hmm. that I'd read that actually talked about intrusive thoughts. It's well, normal. It, it, yeah, they are normal. And they don't, I mean, that's, it's really weird. Like my job, what I've ended up doing is, been completely unplanned. My career is as a journalist, so mm. I work at the Telegraph and have done for like nearly twenty years. But I, I was a kind of jobbing features journalist, so I'd go out doing interviews, cover stories, that kind of thing. And then my whole life, I'd had obsessive compulsive disorder, 
And do you did you know when? Did so you... I I kind of got a diagnosis in my teens, but it was weird. So OCD to me was always someone who was very clean. And my husband yeah. jokes that I wish he had the good type of OCD because I'm like, you know, there is no good type of OCD. No. But, but the public know it as that. They think they? of it like... clean and very organised, and, and I'm neither of those things. So the way I describe OCD now is it's like your brain refusing to acknowledge what your eyes can see. So right. be it that the uh, oven is off or the door is closed or the your hair straighteners are off or the candle's off or that your hands are clean. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. So there's all these intrusive thoughts. So OCD is a very kind of multifaceted thing and there's one type called pure O. Mm -hmm. It's not visible. Mm -hmm. So you can't see someone washing their hands so they bleed. And I did have that type too. Right. At at the age of 12. And then... So young, isn't it? I mean, I would wash my hands until they were bleeding and I couldn't leave the house. I was scared there were germs everywhere. I had to hide my toothbrush under my pillow because I didn't want to infect my family with whatever illness I thought I had. And did they pick up on this or was it kind of secret? Yeah, it was secret because it was in my head. I remember I thought I had AIDS. It sounds silly because I was 12 and I lived in like a terraced house in the, on the suburbs mm. and, you know, I had a cat called Moppet and I'd never even kissed a boy and yeah. my drug habit was at least 10 years off and even then it didn't get intravenous. Yeah. You know, I wasn't like, mm, how did you pick that one up, man? Yeah. You know, I've never had a blood transfusion, I never. But Pure O tends to attach itself like to whatever the hysteria of the day is. Is it paranoia or is that yeah, not right? Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a bit, well, it's kind of more than that, but... At the time, so that was this was back in 1992, and there was a big campaign um, to warn people about AIDS. Yeah. You know, people, it's very common to worry about having AIDS. I remember there was that advert at the time, which was like, don't die of ignorance, John Hurt, and then like a tombstone. And I was like, oh my God, what is this thing? Yeah. What, you know, like, I didn't know anything about it. So I was 12 and I thought I'd got this illness. And then I thought I had Ebola. I mean, there was like a mini outbreak somewhere in Africa. I remember and I'd, that, yeah. Yeah, and it was... It was, you know, really, like, now I can see, like, I call it the same person's mental illness because I knew, I knew intellectually that these were things that were not really realistic but my brain could not stop so they going did at feel me. really real yeah it's quite frightening so then. that was that was the start and then what happened was i as i got a little bit older i started to have so this is what i say about intrusive thoughts like we all have thoughts yeah. we all have intrusive especially thoughts. mothers about their children and, yeah. yeah so it's very common to get this kind of ocd after you become a mum we all have we all have intrusive thoughts. We all have millions of thoughts. We are not our thoughts. If we were, yeah. we'd be completely mad. But then you get all the bloggers like, oh, every thought you have, you'll become. And you're like, well, it's hang not on true. a minute. That's it's not- absolutely not true. Like, I have thought all sorts of crazy things mm. that I'm not going to become. Like, yesterday, I had a drifting fantasy where I was, like, hanging out with... Who was I hanging out with? Brad Pitt. It's not going to happen. Sadly, not. Not yeah. really. Um, so, but what I mean is, is is that we all have these thoughts and we've all had that thought of what if your friend hands you their baby? What if I just threw the baby on the floor? I know. Or yeah, yeah. you're on the train platform and you're like, what if I just push someone onto the train? Yeah, yeah. But we dis- most people dismiss the thoughts mm-hmm. and they yeah. say... This is just these are just thoughts. Silly, I'm not ever going to yeah. act on them. Someone with pure O becomes really distressed by the thoughts, right. and they start to ruminate to prove that they are not the thoughts, mm-hmm. right? So that's what that to, that's a kind of a basic a description of pure O. I had a real paranoia that I may have murdered someone. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even say the word murder. Yeah. Um, what a scary thought to live with because yeah. it, it's genuine, you know, it's not I, just... I, I thought I'd murdered someone and then, like, blanked it out in horror. I was 17. You start to really believe that. Yeah. yeah. Then I thought I was a paedophile. Right. 
Um, I thought that I might have hurt a, a child. And it's a real, really weird wrestling thing because then you have a conscience mm. and you are worried by that. That scares mm. you. But then you also have a genuine belief that that could be real. You know, that's it like a awful. real mind fuck. It was awful. But... And I had that more or less until until I gave up alcohol, really. I mean, I didn't drink when... I, I wasn't drinking when I first got it, but... So that's such a hard thing to talk about because if you tell someone you were anxious or depressed, people want to mm. talk to you about that. But if you say, I genuinely thought I was a paedophile, mm. people are a bit like, oh, OK, can't really... Just... Back away. Yeah, yeah I always yeah. say when I'm doing talks about it, I'm like, I'm not, by the way, but then yeah. I would say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love. I just... It was... I had no idea anyone else had these thoughts. No So idea. did you think it was normal? or, or you No, thought you I would... didn't think it was normal. I thought it was awful. I thought... I was the worst person mm. in the world and I spent my life in fear that I was about to be like carted off not yeah. I wasn't not to like a loony bin that would have been a relief in a way yeah by the police or and and I you know I developed really bad coping strategies for it so I got you know booze mm. and and drugs were like amazing yeah. I thought what, they were amazing what drugs did you take them a lot of cocaine. Okay. Which is socially acceptable mm. in, in London, you know, in yeah. some circles, isn't it? You wouldn't necessarily feel like that's an issue. No, I didn't. I thought I was just like every other 20-something yeah. I was in, who worked in media. I was out having fun, mm. and, do you know what I mean, and misbehaving. And mm-hmm. and, and and it did, you know, in it, I was just blocking out my feelings. Mm-hmm. I was basically hiding shame under new shames. Like, my worries were, I'd be worried that I'd done something, and then I'd be like, okay, just go out tonight, get get off your face and then you'll um you'll create a new worry and this yeah, one will go yeah. so it was like a, it was like a tower of sh- it was like a tower burger of shame yeah well, but, but it is the best anesthetic alcohol I'm, well, I'm not recommending it but no, I mean no, it's the I go-to mean, thing isn't it if you don't want to be a certain way or think a certain you know if you're mm, on the edge like that I mean it's the only thing we're ever taught really like I don't know about you but you kind of grow up and you go you remember your parents at the end of the yeah. day going, oh, let's have a drink, I'm stressed out. But it's a, you know, it's, um, you know, you described it as an anaesthetic, but it's also, it's like, hey, I always say, it's like, hey, it's a depressant that masquerades as as a high, basically. Yeah. And it's it's actually what I think of it now as, if I ever find myself thinking about that I want to drink, I think, what would be the point? Because literally, you'd just be drinking, you'd be throwing petrol onto a fire. Yeah, you know? that's and so I'd true. And I'd be, I wouldn't just have one, knowing mm-hmm. me. I'd yeah. have 8,000. Like, if you said to me, Katie, oh, but have you heard about this amazing medication? And you'll take, I don't know why I've given you this voice, because <laughs> you don't have this voice. If you take it, you'll only want, like, one or two drinks. I'd be like, yeah, not interested. Yeah. Thanks. Like, if I was to pick up a drink now, so I'd So you're all want, or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I'd just be putting off whatever it was I was avoiding to the next day when it would come back with interest not interested yeah how did you get to the point where you recognize because we all do stuff we know is bad we know and we know it it's not that we don't have the awareness but what was the kind of well I think it was um having a child Mm -hmm. and that makes you get up at 6am well I still you know I still managed functional drinking like I thought because I waited till she went to bed and all that that I was fine but I think it was when the OCD came back really badly and um it made me question if I had abused my own child. Mm-hmm. I was like, enough. I, like, I, OCD had ruined enough of my life, but yeah. I was like, I ain't letting it ruin hers as well. Yeah. And your chance at motherhood. and Yeah. You know, yeah. And also, I didn't want 
her to grow up in a world where she didn't feel she could talk about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think when I first wrote about my OCD... Mm-hmm. Were you um, scared? Because it's a, for me, it's mm. a very innovative... Like, it's a, that book is a first for me. I've read loads of self-help books. I've le- read loads of memoirs. And I was like, God, she wrote this. And imagine sending that to your editor. Well, like, I'd got to this stage... So my daughter must have been about 14 months. Right. So it was 2014. When you're still really hormonal and tired. Yeah. And I and I was really unwell with OCD. And I, I had this column in the Telegraph and mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to write about it. I'm going to write about this OCD. And did your colleagues know that you were unwell? <laughs> kind of. I mean, I think they suspected. I was like crying at my desk. Yeah. <laughs> but I, when I sat down to write that column about Pure O, it was almost like a test. Because mm-hmm. I was like, if I write this... And the police don't come and get me. I'll be like, okay, yeah, I could, I could reassure myself. Yes, yeah, so you're putting it out there. But like, you? also, it was like a please. I know. I kept hearing that statistic that like one in four people um, experience mental illness each mm-hmm. year. And I knew intellectually that pure O was a thing, was an illness, but I'd never met anyone else. Yeah. I think it would be hard to meet someone else because they wouldn't admit it for so fear of, it was you know. like sticking my head above the parapet and going, please, if you have this too, come and tell me. Mm-hmm. Please, because I needed, I thought I was going to die if I didn't. I couldn't carry on living in that sort of, sorry, everyone get a bit emotional. I couldn't have lived, carried on living in that sort of prison cell. It's not living though, it's existing, isn't no, it? No, it was a, a real kind of plea to, to find people like me. Yeah, <laughs> but it was very brave because let's look at the worst case scenario. You could have lost your job. You could have had a reading, you know, and now everyone's got a platform to react to you. It could, it could have been made much worse, the, the whole situation, you know? It could have been, but I, you know, the... What happened was it was like the floodgates opened Mm. and I just got... It was really interesting because, yeah, even though it wasn't that long ago, relatively... How um, long ago was it? So it was 2014. Okay. So five years ago. When we weren't necessarily talking about mental health like we are now. It was like, you know, it's like the bloody Jurassic period. Yeah. (laughs) You know, in terms of like, people just didn't talk about it still then. You had, you had, like, let me give credit where credit's due. You had Stephen Fry, Mm -hmm. Ruby Wax, Matt Haig. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was it. Yeah. Uh, They were the real trailblazers. Mm -hmm. And then... um, uh, apologies to anyone else who was talking about yeah, their mental health before that. I, yeah. well, I was so desperate, I didn't really care. I didn't yeah. really care because I was like, fuck it. It couldn't get any worse, right? Mm-hmm. And the floodgates opened and I got, so, I mean, like thousands of messages from people going, me too, if not OCD, then some other form of mental illness. And would they say it on the street to you in person or would it just be I get be that behind, a lot now, yeah. Okay. Um, but my publisher were like, my publishers were like, because I'd written a book previously about my crazy 20s and they were yeah. like, you've got to write about this. You've yeah. got to write about this. So well, good for them for being supportive of you as well. Mm. Because, you know, some publishers don't take risk and they don't mm. do new things. And one of my questions was going to be, does your daughter know all about this? And actually, the whole the new book is You Got This. It's for, <laughs> it's for young girls, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's a mental health book for, um, for, t- for teenage girls. But really, it's for like the teenage girl in me. I don't know about you, mm. but I feel like... So basically, um, when I got sober... Because I keep following your... I'm nearly, I'm nearly two years sober. Is so it, two it was years? quite a long process to get to the point where I was like, yeah, I really need to just knock this booze on the head. There's a lot of step, steps on a journey and all of that jazz. But um, Do you miss drink? No. Not, never, ever. Like, yeah. I just went on holiday. Like, if I said to you, oh, no, it didn't cross my mind at all, that I'd like a cocktail or a cold beer on the, you know, on the terrace as yeah. the sun went down. But I'm like, okay... 
I've, I've romanticised the drinking yeah. here. So what would really happen was then I'd have another beer and another beer and another beer and another beer. And then I wouldn't remember anything. Yeah, so it's like, it's total abstinence. You can't say, like, well, a Prosecco at a wedding. No, it's compli- I don't want a Prosecco at a like wedding. That. I hate no. Prosecco anyway. Yeah. I'd rather carver. So if you're going <laughs> to, just to know, if you're going to try and tempt me to relapse, do not even try with Prosecco. Do people try and tempt you? Because you no. wouldn't do that with heroin, would you? Like No. Well, I don't know. Some people might. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, enablers. Your crowd is. But no, yeah. no one does. I think everyone's just relieved. They're supportive, yeah. But I felt like getting sober was like for me I felt like I was stuck at sort of 12 whenever I first got ill with obsessive compulsive disorder and then I sort of found this my coping mechanism which was drinking to kind mm. of blot it out and <laughs> basically feel like I stuck at the age I started drinking yeah and because well, you don't deal with, it, with no, anything yeah no. you put it off and you're hungover yeah. and you just hide it and so yeah, yeah. so I was yeah. like 37 and like oh I've got to grow up now but I was learning all these things, not just through being sober, but also from um, young people and and how wonderfully um, inclusive they are and how much more open people are nowadays. Mm. And I was thinking, God, there's so many wonderful things about life now. Wouldn't it be lovely to write down all the things I wish someone mm-hmm. had told me at 12 that I'm finding out now at like 37, yeah. 38? So that... That was the idea of the book. It's one of my favourite quotes. I'm probably going to get the quote wrong, but it's basically, be the person you needed when you were younger. Yeah. And I feel like that sums up this it's book. So, it's you know, so it's true, just, yeah. So yeah. It's, it is for teenage girls, but it's also for their parents. It's for any. It's for anyone. It's for anyone who's, you know, ever felt a bit lost. You know, I say it a lot in this book, you may be growing up or you may be a grown-up, but never, ever stop treating yourself like a newborn baby. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, one of the, one of the comments I always see on your Instagram posts from other women, is God I wish you were around when I was growing up because mm. you know I've wasted X amount of years mm. of hiding myself away not not living my you know my, my best life mm-hmm. and like when you read that it's kind of like it does fill me with a little bit of sadness because mm. you think oh my God so many people on hold waiting to be better version of what what does that even but mean the thing is, you know? I, I mean I was around when they were growing up yeah. I was growing up too and I was feeling all the same things yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> like this whole thing I get a lot of people say to me uh, I wish I had your confidence. And I'm like, what? I don't have any confidence. Confidence is a trick. There are more. There's more to us than the way we appear. I mean, that I'm not. People have been saying this since you adopt. We all have different stories and different mm-hmm. experiences, and you know. And I just thought to myself, it's like that. That thing of I don't want to waste any more time doing myself down. Yeah. You know, the things I could have done with my life instead of worrying if I had a double chin or not. Yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, Well, this is the thing that annoys me. Like, So say for me, if I put up a picture where I haven't got makeup on, mm. people will hail it as inspirational and it'll be... (laughs) And I'm like, why does that... That's not... That shouldn't be held as inspirational. That is me. I did not have enough time to get ready um, and I do need to do a post today because I've committed to posting about a project. So I'm not going to sit there for two hours hours and wash my hands and makeup I've got a baby and a toddler it's a bit you insulting know. isn't it it's yeah, like oh it <laughs> yeah, I sometimes feel that it's like kind of like that's where we're at like so for me people will feel like the biggest compliment they could tell me is that I'm still beautiful mm-hmm. and it's like why do you think I can't reach happiness without being considered beautiful like why does that have to be where my happiness mark lies you're still yeah and it's I, but I know it's from a really well-meaning place 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Do you want to sometimes say that, like, <laughs> I, my strength is more than the fact that I have an incredible set of eyelashes yeah. and an amazing It's difficult, but I've learned the hard lips. way. That, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really impossible because I've learned the hard way. Instagram isn't always the best place to explain yourself. No. And then I end up being really furious and, like, some. I just have to unfollow some accounts. So, like, the whole body positivity movement for mm. me is, of course, it's a good thing. We're opening up conversations. But then I see, like really young, skinny, aesthetically pleasing girls in a bikini going, feel so fat today. Oh my God. Painting my nails naked, hashtag self-care. And I'm like, you just want people to reply that you're not fat. Yeah. You don't feel fat at all. It's airbrushed, it's edited, it's not helpful. And I'd rather not have the movement if you're going to diminish it. Yeah. And then there's this whole like shout from the rooftops, I'm really happy with my face, my body. And I think, do you know what? Some days I am not happy with my face and some days I'm not happy with my body but I'm getting to a place where it works I'm alive I've got no infections I can mm. see I can do my job I want to strive to feel neutral mm. I think that's absolutely right I think it's really important that our worth is not defined by how we look mm -hmm. generally and so what I mean by that is that sometimes the goal is not to say I'm never not going to feel ugly or fat or whatever yeah, again. And that's too American, but don't it's you also think? it's totally unrealistic. Yeah. We're all going to feel all sorts of fucking things over yeah. our lives. To say no, I'm don't, I want to get to a stage where I never feel anything but confident about my body. Yeah, is fucking ludicrous. But what I do want to get to a stage where is my head goes, oh my god, look at that belly on yeah. you, and I go, hi there, thought. And I just let it float on by yeah. with another one that's like, four, look at your boobs. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, they're just thoughts and they're not really reflective of me. It really makes me feel sad when a reaction to a post about uh, a feeling like depression mm. is responded to, yeah, but you look yeah, but your eyebrows are lovely. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I don't mind. And I know people mean well. They and do, I, think I know. That's and that's really why important. I feel a bit bad. You know, I don't like to get cross at people because they do mean well. I mean, body positivity is a phrase which can be incredibly um, incendiary, I suppose, because it was created... Um, by a black woman for black women for super large black women who oh, are completely ignored. Okay. But I think it's about body acceptance. Mm -hmm. I think that's really what we need to strive towards. And because um, I think it's too far out of reach for some people to love their body. No, but it's and not about. It's, it, yeah, as I said, it's not about. Look, we're all going to get annoyed by our bodies, just as we're all going to get annoyed by our houses that we mm. live in. Like, yeah. things things go wrong, but. 
accepting the situation for what it is right mm-hmm. now instead of thinking I wish if only this could happen if only that could have happened if only I had lips like that if only I had eyebrows like that if only I had boobs like so and so if only I had a flat stomach like so and so my life would be better it wouldn't it wouldn't yeah because you'd find something else that you want to be yeah the problem is about not wanting to be you is that you're always going to be you so yeah. it doesn't matter how much weight you lose or how much makeup you put on your face or how how expensive the clothes you're wearing are like at the end of the day the reflection staring back is still you mm-hmm. yeah so if you don't like you none of it means a bean of you know anything like million dollar question how do you get to the point where you like you because I, I feel that you genuinely do I feel like you're authentic in that message um, I got to the point where I had to start liking me because if I didn't I'd die I think mm-hmm. I would have killed myself mm-hmm. Is that, you really mean that not figure of speech you really no I really mean that like yeah. I, I was I, I mean I was I had some very dark moments um Give me an example of say, back in your 20s, so, an average bad day. Uh, you know, it was just constant, constantly bad, anxious. Exhausting. Then. Exhausting. Yeah. But towards the end of my drinking and towards the end of my kind of, you know, I was the pain, the self sort of loathing and the wanting to be something else and any wanting to be anything other than myself was was so loud and so noisy that there was a point, there were many points where I found myself considering other options so I wouldn't be myself. You know, suicidal thoughts. And and I knew, I was like, I knew that if I carried on, I knew that if that carried on, I was going to die. Yeah. Either I'd get completely slated one, like l- l- lashed one night and out falling off a balcony or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. or I would purposely kill myself. It was, you know, it sounds really dramatic, but yeah. it was like a life and death thing. It wasn't going to turn out well for me and then it wouldn't turn out well for my daughter either because mm-hmm. who wants a mum who's, you know... yeah. Dream. Well, motherhood is quite good because it gives you that discipline, doesn't it? If I, if, if I can't do it for me, I've got to do it for this person. Yeah, and sort of fake it till you make it. Well, yeah, And then eventually true. you start doing it for you. Yeah. And I, yeah, so that was that really. I didn't, Was know. there a last, like with the drinking, was there that, that horrible last night where you were like, I am going to end up dead or where you nearly lost your job or so, some horrible moment? It was really, really bleak. Um, the end and it was weird because it was sort of at the time when my career was so Mad Girl had come out mm. and I think so I, the, you, you know someone like me who's following you I'm like she's so successful mm. everything's going well mm. everything's together well I, I I sort of yeah it was weird it was weird I think I just didn't know how to process everything that was happening and I was um, I was learning more and more about recovery and options and I was thought I just I knew my, the game was up and it was kind of so I will, I think I'll probably write about it eventually. But, you know, that towards the end, there were a couple of situations that happened that were, de- were dangerous. Mm. And um, you're vulnerable as a woman. Yeah. And, and my, when my family didn't know where I was. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know where I was. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and it, it, just a few too many of them happened in quick succession. And I, and I remember this from my last drink. Well, I don't really remember my last drink. It was probably like 10 in the morning mm-hmm. on uh, the August Bank holiday weekend. Right. 2017. And I just was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. You know, I'm incredibly... I realise I'm really lucky to be alive. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, we're all really lucky to be alive. You yeah. All, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, well, that goes back to that thing of we all have our story, don't we? Yeah. So, yeah. And so I, I have to sort of... I have to have faith. I have mm-hmm. to have a faith. Well, I'm not sort of religious. I have to have a faith that everything's, you know, as it's meant to be. Mm. 
Um, and I'm really also really grateful that I am an alcoholic, which is something really? I never thought I'd That's say. That's such a strong statement. Why do you say that? Because oh, life is it's like the bit in Wizard of Oz where it goes from black and white to glorious technicolour. That's mm-hmm. what life's like yeah. now. Yeah. It's wonderful. Oh, I'm jealous. And I'm that sure, amazing. But I'm sure life is like that all the time for lots of normal people. Yeah. But... <laughs> No, who's normal? No one's normal. But what I mean is it's just like, I'm really lucky that I get to go and hang out with other people like me. But also it's a tool for other people. Like Your writing has helped so many people and I I suppose it's helped you because it released Mm. you from that anonymous... Yeah, people are like, you help people and I'm like, okay, let me just get this straight. This was not some selfless act of altruism. I feel like about my books. I was was just like, um, can people feed back to me here so I don't feel like such a weird... It's so true, isn't Isn't it? it? Because for me, writing set me free and it gave me the confidence that it wasn't my fault Mm -hmm. as well. So do you ever look back and think, if you hadn't been a writer and you hadn't had this publishing career, what, what would you have done? I'd probably be dead, Casey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't know what I would have done. I think you could be a stand-up. Do do you? I think it's so funny. (laughs) This is under pressure now to be really funny. No, I'm like, um, why did the chicken cross the road? (laughs) I saw a really horrible troll email you got from a man. (laughs) I I couldn't believe it. Which one? Oh, God. And he basically was calling you a narcissist. And I was just like, you don't get what she does. Those are like one in every 100 or whatever. Yeah, and all the rest of it. Because your your followers are really good. They're really supportive. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that I think that there's this kind of notion that women who talk about themselves are narcissists, whereas men that do it are funny or or insightful and they get given the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. You know? And it's like, oh... Where's that? What's the... And also the, the one that really annoys me is when people go, you're a confessional journalist. I'm like, I don't really just sit down and go, oh, what am I going to confess to today? <sighs> like, believe me, there's a lot I don't talk about and there's yeah. a lot I won't talk about. And and increasingly, you know, I don't particularly want to be writing about my daughter. Now yeah. she's older, yeah. getting older. <laughs> well, I don't think you write loads about her. No, but, I don't. But no. I mean, I don't want to... <laughs> I think boundaries are really important and I yeah. and so I think it's perfectly possible to write about the feelings you've had. I mean, I find it easy writing about how you feel because it helps me so much, but it's funny when people go oh, it's 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 brave. I'm like, again, that whole thing of like, well, I'm yeah. not I'm not uh, I'm not off to Syria to single-handedly um, <laughs> battle ISIS. But, you know, my husband's a, like a top investigative oh, journalist right, okay. and he goes like undercover and stuff like that. Yeah. Can you imagine? Can, Can you imagine? <laughs> so he won't let me put pictures of him on, fa- on oh, Instagram. Course, or he's anything. so private. Yeah. And he's also like, you were just... He, honestly, we could not be more different. But that's great though. I but it's, I really respect him. He, I think, really respects me. Yeah. Well, because I like pay for nice holidays <laughs> <laughs> so another thing I really admire about you is you've you know you've got rid of these negative coping mechanisms and you've replaced them with positive in terms of you're a runner yes you're a runner in your pants is that I'll yeah. add to that yeah. that's quite a thing you're famous for really now <laughs> you, ran, it's Jada you did the marathon I ran the marathon last year yeah with my friend Jada Cesar who's a plus size model mm-hmm. In our yeah, we ran in, in our underwear and nothing yeah. else like we, oh my god so I did the marathon the year before for Heads Together which is the yeah. Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and Prince Harry's mental health charity. And I loved it. And I didn't think someone like me could run a marathon. It's a long way, isn't it? It is a long way. And I'm a sort of <laughs> size 16 to 18. Do you know what I mean? I'm a, lo- I'm a large lady. <laughs> 
And, um, but that's irrelevant, though, because it doesn't matter the size. You can yeah, be I super fit. I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. You see some skinny people and they're not fit. They couldn't run a marathon. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't. If you asked me to run the, a marathon right now, I would struggle because I haven't trained for one. Yeah. But I've done two marathons. I've done a triathlon. I've probably done about 15 half marathons. Like I, God. I can, and it, for me, it's not about being the fastest or the strongest. Yeah. It's about just doing it yeah yeah you know people say oh isn't it so so hard so hard to run those distances and I'm like it's 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 yes it's hard that's the point that's why you do it mental but it's no harder than the days when you can't get out of bed at all yeah that's actually a really good analogy yeah like those are the awful days why did you start running because of those because I because I was because I heard it was good for you Yep, I told yeah. you it was good for your mental health. And I tried to ignore the experts for a long time by right. going, no, 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 no. I am not going to fall for this. Eat well, get lots of sleep, oh, yeah, do yeah. exercise, don't so drink. Dull. I'm like, yeah. no, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to find the exact combination of alcohol and cocaine that's going to improve my mental health. Self-medicate, yeah. And then, so I went out there, investigate, and I was like, I'm going to come up with the results and get in touch with like the British Medical Journal and the Lancet and be like, lauded for my scientific skills but after a period of extensive research I discovered that actually um it was making my mental health worse mm-hmm, yeah. I thought maybe the experts know what they're talking yeah. about <laughs> so I, I hauled my ass out of bed and went for a run do you um, run with your husband or do you run on your own I do actually well no mostly I run by myself but we just had uh we just went away and we every morning we went out and ran like three or four miles Mm. Um, I probably walk faster than I run. Well, either or doesn't matter. Same yeah, thing. Don't I like. You think? I like. We You're do moving. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> jog, walk, jog, walk. Yeah. Um, and I love running. I do love you listen it. to podcasts or music? Uh, sometimes, yeah, yeah. I listen to. I listen. Sometimes I just listen to my the thoughts in my own. Head. Yeah. See, sometimes I think that's good, though. Don't you think? If well, you... I love going. I don't know about you, but like, I love. Being outside and exercising. Yeah. I don't want to be in a gym. No, I'm, oh God, I could never run in a treadmill because I'll be like, I'm knackered, how long? One minute. Shit. Ch- yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Like, this is so dull. It's like, boring. Yeah. Whereas I like the kind of sense of landmarks. And yeah. You run. I do, but I couldn't do, I couldn't do a marathon. Honestly, Why? Because well, I don't want to sound like it's, it's an excuse, but I have problems with my nose and throat with breathing okay. and I've done halves and I get to the end and I'm like, that twice? No way. Because like, every, everyone feels like that. Because you I just feel like you never... And I don't get the euphoric... You know when it feels like, that's a euphoric feeling? Yeah. I get like, thank God that's over. Well, that's <laughs> the euphoric feeling. The relief. It's done. Um, I remember getting to the end of my first half marathon. I went and did it in Paris. Right. And I remember... Oh, that's beautiful. I, no, no, I, that's what I thought. Yeah. I don't know what I imagined. Everyone would be running in like Chanel, <laughs> you know. And it was basically through a load of industrial estates. And you got to Notre Dame. And you're like, oh, in the nice bit of Paris. And then you turned back. I was like, fuck this. Oh, my God. It was also pouring with rain, yeah, right? And I got—I remember getting to mile eleven and going. It was like sheet wind. Like my face was ice. Yeah, and I remember to go, going to pull up my hood, and it of course had filled. It spent the last eleven miles filling with rain, <laughs> and just like emptying it. And thinking, I'm going to cry. Oh my God, that's the pit. I really remember getting it? to the end and thinking, and it was like six weeks to full marathon. Yeah, and I was like. 
if you, someone right now asked me to run that distance again, I'd, I use, yeah. I'd use what energy I had left to stamp on their heads. Yeah, but I think that about a lot of achievements. I look back and think, I couldn't do that again. Mm. But I suppose the point is, you just do. But you keep signing up to them. You're always doing stuff in a wetsuit or running. Yeah, or... Uh, oh, well, yeah, I, well, I don't. So I just do little things for myself. Like, I, on holiday last week, I, I basically found this woman who's a professional swimmer and she took me, swam up. I was in a, on a Caribbean island and we swam every morning like two and a half kilometres oh, around wow. the coast. But then we also, um, Jada and I have got together like a bigger gang of women mm-hmm. and we are doing the Vitality London 10K. There's 800 women in their underwear. Oh my God, that's brilliant. And 10K is quite a distance. Well, it's not easy. But it's, no, but it's it's a good, it's an achievable distance. It's doable. Why yeah. we wanted to do it and not say another marathon because marathons yeah. aren't, you know, like you don't have to do a marathon. <laughs> no, no. And people do pick up injuries and... Yeah, yeah and yeah. It's, it's a huge commitment. And what it's about is saying these are our bodies and we're not going to we're not going to be ashamed of them yeah. anymore and i'm also not going to feel sexualized yeah. like if i stand there in my pants and bra that it's some sort of sexual act to try and entice members of the opposite sex yeah what this is saying is that my body is an amazing functioning thing mm-hmm. right that has kept me alive mm. it may have birthed children you know and it's saying this is my body and i'm sick of feeling like it is only good for one thing which mm-hmm. is basically being appealing to you to, yeah. to members of the opposite sex can we not just bottle this up put a cork in it and just sell it to like 11 year olds like this is well that's what i hope i'm gonna do with my book with you got books. this yeah yeah <laughs> oh, absolutely and it's and it's saying you know i'm sick of being told that my body is not acceptable if it doesn't fit some sort of weird photoshopped filtered version that no doesn't exist for anyone yeah yeah you know and um so here are my stretch mark here's my cellulite guess what they're normal um and i'm just gonna go and run 10k if you don't mind Do you know what i was gonna ask you to summarize with a message for people listening that weren't as in a good place as you but you basically just did it <laughs> <laughs> so i thank you so much for coming on the podcast because i really feel that you are genuinely extraordinary you've walked this really long journey and you've got to a place where so many people would love to be but you've kind of displayed it in a way that they definitely could be it's definitely achievable well I'm just like I'm just like anyone else you know and I all I did was I tried to survive Mm. and if I was to kind of sit down and think what people liked about me which is obviously not British either not British at all but I think it is that thing of like it's it's being unapologetically you and you know and and being fed up of not being allowed to be that anymore. I feel like you don't carry the fear. You know, lots of people live with the fear of mm. they won't like me, I won't be enough, I can't post this, it's not acceptable. Mm. And I feel like there's no layer of fear with I you. Get, I like, still have the fear, but I jump over it. Right. And you, know, and you don't use drink to be brave. You know, you're, you're, no, you're, you're, you're I, yourself. But I did. And it's like all of those things. He's like that said, someone said, someone saying, oh, I wish you were around when I was growing up. It's like I was and I was doing exactly the same things as you. And that is to say, what my message to people is to say, if I can do this, anyone can. Yeah. And I believe, I feel like you're really sincere. Right? Everything you say, I really believe in you. I think it's, oh, I think it's brilliant. Oh, I'm so glad you came you. on. Thank you for having me. I uh, could literally have just carried on. <laughs> yeah. Love but your car's here, so we oh, can't. Yeah, look, oh, it's bloody hell already. You got to meet Andy Murray. I'm off to meet. Yeah, Shh, sorry. I, I will. I probably yes. I'm off, to, I'm off to spend the <laughs> afternoon with Andy Murray. Much it's more a, glamorous. It's a sad life. Yeah. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to Casey Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.